0: Well excuse me. I am told I need to speak louder. Some people didn't hear me last night. I will try to with the caveat be careful what you ask for. (laughs) You may get it. (laughs) I wanna thank Professor Mandy Sharp for that just wonderful and warm introduction and welcome. And Lucy Clare, for her characterization of me. I'm about to fulfill a promise to Lucy Clare. I said to her, even though she couldn't be here tonight, I did say to her that if she was here tonight, I would include in the course of my words the fact that Jews and Christians may disagree on some things, but we agree on loving Girl Scout cookies. The rest you'll have to deal with, Lucy Clare. (laughs) I realized this afternoon that I needed to say something about the historic nature of just the fact that I am here with you and have chosen the title and topic that I did. 50 or 60 years ago, it would have been almost unthinkable for a rabbi to come before a Christian congregation and talk significantly about our differences. It was not that kind of world. The rabbi would have been hesitant because of the fear that he would offend, and the Christian congregation might not have been ready to hear it but mostly the rabbi would have been hesitant. How do I know that? One illustration. One of the greatest rabbis of the generation or generation and a half before me was Rabbi Abba Hillel Silver of Cleveland. He was a scholar, a preacher, an activist politically and socially, and Rabbi Silver wrote a book about the differences between Judaism and Christianity, and when he submitted it to his publisher, His title was Where Judaism Differs, D-I-F-F-E-R-S. And his publisher, I presume in the 1950s or so, said no. Jews won't buy a book that's called Where Judaism Differs because that was still a period underscored by the Holocaust but not created by it when Jews were still concerned to seem as little different from our Christian neighbors as possible. It was a kind of coping mechanism. So I thank you more than you know for this opportunity because it was churches like this, leaders like Dr. Biggs and now Reverend Wiggs, that made it possible for me to take the chance that you're going to leave saying, boy, has he got chutzpah to say things like that. (laughs) Well, let's try. Ask almost any Christian and almost any Jew what the difference between Judaism and Christianity is, and the answer will come back the same. Well, Jews don't believe in Jesus, and Christians do. And that is true. It would would get you there on Jeopardy, but that doesn't tell us much. (laughs) I want to suggest that believing or not believing in Jesus is a kind of end point, not starting point, of where we get to because of some presuppositions. And I need you to work with me tonight. It's not enough just to laugh. Being the son of a rabbi, notwithstanding, nor being in a public school, in Huntington, West Virginia in the 1940s and 50s, I learned all the Christmas carols. We all knew them. Every Jewish kid knew the Christmas carols, and we even knew which words to mouth (laughs) but not say, lest we express a creed we didn't believe in. We didn't know much. We knew that. I was the narrator of the eighth-grade pageant for Christmas my year, The only speaking part came to the (laughs) rabbi's son. And if that wasn't enough, it was in fact written by the only Jewish teacher in the school. (laughs) And it took me many, many decades to realize, well, yeah, all the characters were Jewish except for the three wise men. Why shouldn't it have been that way? (laughs) But I digress. Work with me. The first Noel, the first Noel born is. When I count three, supply the blank. One, two, three. The King of Israel. A matter of presuppositions. When a Jew hears the words King of Israel, they think of Saul, David, Solomon. They're really educated, Josiah, Ahab, Hezekiah, if you're a Bible buff. But if you're a Christian, you don't think of a political king. You don't think of someone sitting on a throne in this world, ruling as sovereign over a nation that has geographical borders and has political overtones. You think of a spiritual figure, I think, who never reigned on this earth, but who reigns in a kingdom in the next world, the heavenly throne, a kingdom that is on no map, but is, in fact, everywhere and eternal. When Pontius Pilate orders Jesus crucified, he has put on the cross Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, And that was the crime for which he was executed. It was a crime, from the Roman point of view, of treason. If there was a king of the Jews, a king of Israel, that meant that Rome no longer ruled. Pilate didn't care much about Jewish theology, but he was charged with the idea of putting down any possibility of Jewish rebellion and revolution. And so that leads to my strange formula. And uh, Karen Holmes expressed her gratitude as a math teacher for the fact that I actually used a mathematical formula. (laughs) My strange formula is Messiah equals X, Messiah equals Y, but X doesn't equal Y, and you can already see where it's going. When Jews and Christians agree that Jews don't believe in Jesus, while Christians do, The subject is in large part what do we mean by the word messiah messiah is the latinized version of the Hebrew word Mashiach which means anointed much of this you may know and anointed points to a king born is the king of Israel so if you're a Jew in the year 30 and the word comes to you that the Messiah has come and he is a man from the Galilee and you excuse me, what did you hear? You heard that the fulfillment of the first Noel has come. There will be a king of Israel. He will come from the royal line, the line of David. He will restore Judea to self-government as an independent nation under God. Ultimately, he will bring about a perfect world of justice and peace, righteousness, and a lack of suffering in this world, on this earth a world that we modern Jews call the Messianic Age. He will be designated by God, but he will be fully and solely human. We will all know he has come, because all we have to do is read the ancient Jerusalem Post, and we will see that there's no crime, no war, no oppression, no violence. So this was a time when the Jews were ready for the Messiah, eager, waiting. Imagine then the disappointment of most of the Jews and their disillusionment when instead of defeating and overthrowing Rome, Rome put to death the man from Nazareth, the man whom that Jew in the year 30 was told the Messiah has come. A hundred years later, there would be another. His name was Bar Kochba, he led a revolt against Rome. The most, um, the greatest rabbi of the time said, this is the Messiah. But the revolt was put down. Bar Kokhba died. In light of the Jewish expectation of the Messiah, Jesus' crucifixion was a defeat. Rome prevailed, and it still moved, ruled. But some Jews, and then especially through Paul, a great mass of humanity came to believe that Messiah meant something different. And you could give this part of it better than I. For them, the Messiah was born not to reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, but to die. And that his death was not a defeat by Rome of a possible revolutionary. It was rather a victory over sin and eternal death. A victory, not a defeat. Out of that, one religion became two religions. Messiah took on two different meanings for two different faiths. Picture the days after the crucifixion. (coughs) Excuse me. The vast majority of Jews understand the crucifixion as a great sadness. I look at the characterization and portrayal of the crucifixion, and I tell you, I see with sadness, the death of one more Jew at the hands of the very cruel Romans, but a sadness that has to do with the humanity of Jesus. On the other hand, others will look and they will say, this is the moment of the greatest of gifts that God could give us. For God has given his son, this God-man, So that we can live forever when i said presuppositions i really meant it we look at the same picture and we see two very different things messiah equals x for one group y for another the messiah in judaism is a man of royal blood but a man in christianity The Messiah is the Son of God with his mother Mary. For Jews, the proof of the Messiah is ultimately this world becoming perfect. How do I know the Messiah hasn't come as a Jew? I turn on CNN. (laughs) Or if I'm conservative, I turn on Fox. (laughs) I pick up the paper, and I have to look and say, the Messiah hasn't come. For Christians, That's the second coming, as you know. It is the second coming in which that expectation, which is the primary Jewish expectation, is fulfilled. The author Elie Wiesel once said in Memphis, so we can get along, when he comes, we'll say to him, were you here before? Wiesel couldn't resist, now he was in a synagogue, Wiesel couldn't resist saying, but we'll tell him so you weren't. <laughs> so when Jews look, as we come, we're in the Lenten season now, and we come to Good Friday and Easter. When we look at that, we hear and see something so very different. In Christianity, This is a celebration. Jesus' death was an intended triumph over sin and death, his kingdom of the next world. He was the Messiah. He is the ultimate sin offering required by God for the cleansing and acceptance of all God's children. In Judaism, there's nothing of the death of the Messiah or a universal sacrifice for sin. And that leads me to one note. Traditional Jews still await the coming of a person, a Messiah. Some simply voice it, others really believe it. Modernist Jews have tended to say, we really look at a messianic age, an age when the world will come into harmony with God's rules and standards and intent, and the world will be made perfect. You want to know the truth? Either one takes a leap of faith. If you look at humanity, you say, humanity is going to bring about a messianic age? I think we need God to bring a miracle. And so either works, but you should know those two things. That traditional Jews expect a messiah, modernist Jews a messianic age. So we move on. What is it that leads to this change of belief, this difference of belief? sin and sin and atonement. The Jewish presupposition is that sin is only an action, never a condition. By and large, the Christian presupposition says there is also a condition of sin. I might say, and I hope this is accurate, that for Jews, we human beings are sinning creatures. In Christianity, we are also sinful or sin-filled creatures. I'm talking, of course, about original sin, which is one of the differences between us. The old New England primer said, in Adam's fall sinned we all. Original sin comes to each of us simply because we are born human beings. Jewish law and tradition are filled with all kinds of specifications of what you can and can't do, what you should or shouldn't do, what God says you can, must or must not do. And the Hebrew word for sin is an archery term, chait, missing the mark. Sin in Judaism doesn't carry quite the same heavy weight that it does in the language of Christianity, where that burden of sin truly separates you from God. And how do you get rid of sin in Judaism? Well, in the Bible, you offered sacrifices and also made amends, but those sacrifices are gone. In Judaism, you atone for your sin by seeking forgiveness, making amends, apologizing, committing not to repeat the offense, and so on. On the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the year, it says that acts of charity, prayer, and repentance will avert the evil decree, it will cleanse us. Paul, St. Paul the Apostle, on the other hand, looked at the Jewish idea of sin, and he said, we'll never make it. Every time you look at the law, you discover more things you do wrong. There has to be something else. And so in Pauline Christianity, how are you saved from the sin that you couldn't atone for, the sin, original sin? You can only be saved by faith. And what is the content of that faith? It is the faith, the faith that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die on the cross, so that God could then receive all of his other children into his bosom in eternal life. But Judaism doesn't have that. Not because Jesus isn't the answer to original sin. It's because we have no presupposition of original sin. We can atone for our sins. And that sacrifice is not required. We look at it and say, God knows what we're made of. And in Jewish tradition, here's what we're made of. The Yetzer Tov and the Yetzer Ra. I know this is a lot, but, you know, the cookies and punch will wait. (laughs) I used to be on Sugar Busters. I had long, long sermons. Um, (laughs) We are made of a good inclination and a bad inclination. I prefer to think of it as... We are made of a self-giving inclination, the Yetzer Tov, and a self-fulfilling, the Yetzirah Ra. God knows that we're made of that. And the goal is for the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination to keep in check the Yetzer Ra. Where does it come from? Why should you believe me? Here's where it comes from. In Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's he talking to? There's no other people around. He's talking to the only two groups that are around the angels the animals and as a result Jewish tradition says what we are is a combination of the divine and the animal and the goal is not to do away with the animal but to keep it in check thus that is a place where Judaism says we can cleanse ourselves from our sins and God understands our sins because he made us, and he knows what we are. So let me give you a little different way to think of it, a little different way. If my neighbor, God forbid, has cancer, and I have the cure, it is my obligation one might call it the Great Commission. It is my obligation to offer to my neighbor the cure for the disease which otherwise, God forbid, will take his life. And that would be a Christian point of view that every Jew should understand. That under- Knowing that we have the condition of original sin which we cannot do, away with for ourselves and knowing that but god with an act of grace has given the cure which we could not have earned then in Christianity one not only cherishes the cure but offers it to others who have the disease Jewishly the question isn't that Jews don't believe Jesus is the cure Jews don't have a presupposition that human beings have the disease. For 2,000 years, until I said it now, but for 2,000 years, but particularly for many decades, I don't know that that's ever been made clear to Jews or Christians. It's a presupposition that leads us in different directions. finally, although I seldom say finally because it isn't always the end. (laughs) Everything I've said has to do with our differences. I want to spend a few minutes about our commonality. Not only the fact that I believe firmly that when the first aliens from space come and land here, as surely they will, and when they look To them, Judaism and Christianity, Jews and Christians, will seem remarkably similar. They will, because what binds us together is so enormous, despite our differences of presupposition or belief. There is truly what is called a Judeo-Christian ethic, and we embrace it and we prize it. When we talk about the supreme value of human life, When we talk, because you are taught by Jesus and we by the rabbis and the Hebrew scriptures, when we are taught, and you are taught, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to heal the sick, to alleviate suffering, to seek peace, to love the stranger, to love our neighbor, when we are taught those things, one, by saying this is what Jesus would do, and the other saying, this is what you have to do to be holy to your God, we are talking about what binds us together. What binds us together is that we are taught to perform for one another, acts of loving kindness, and you are taught to do for one another, human beings, as acts of Christian love. I am grateful to live in an age When we can examine our differences honestly and then hand-in-hand and shoulder-to-shoulder, we can go on to do that work which God has given to us in common. And I know that if you and we live out our heritage of faith to the best of our ability, god will look down at us and say as he did on the sixth day he tove. it is very good and i do close by noting that you have made that symbolic and real in the statue which graces the little park area outside the church because you have said in a wonderfully graphic, eloquent eloquent way, that beyond our differences of belief, the Jew, the Christian, and now the Muslim, joining not their hands, but the vine that must surely be the vine out of which peace, justice, and the end of suffering will come, that we are brothers and sisters, and that God has called us to be his children together.